sure these cut off, save them batteries. Lord, we love you. We come before you today thanking you, God, for your grace. Thanking you for your mercy, Lord. We, we just ask that you would be with us today as we, as we read your word, God. As we, uh, as we come before your throne, God. You, we, we reading the word that you've given us. We're reading, we're reading your voice as you're speaking to us. And Lord, we just pray that you would, um, that you would open our hearts. That you would open, open my mouth and close it where it needs to be closed, God. And that you would, uh, that you would just use uh, your word today to give us guidance. To, uh, to encourage us, Lord, to uh, bring the gospel to the forefront of our minds, to allow the Holy Spirit, God, to, to move in us and to work through us. And we thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you would uh, uh, just be with us today through the, throughout the services, God, as we uh, all looking forward all the way to tonight, God. We, uh, we just pray that you would uh, give us hearts that just long for you and just desire to seek your will, to seek your word, to praise you and worship you, God, in spirit and truth. And just to just to remain in your presence, we thank you for that, and we love you, in Jesus' name, Amen. In Philippians chapter one, um, we uh, last time we saw Paul's perspective, and uh, we saw that uh, you know he said to live is to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We know that he was in prison, and man, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty amazing thing to say while you're in the midst of suffering for Christ, in the midst of going through all those things that. To live is to live is to Christ. He was saying last week we saw that the, he was saying that if I live, if I go on living in this body, it's really just fruit for y'all because I'm going to keep on serving Christ. I'm going to, you know, I may end up right back here uh, if, uh, if if they let me go. If I end up getting out of this prison, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue preaching the gospel. I'm going to continue exhorting the saints. I'm going to continue building up the church. I'm going to continue serving Christ wherever he brings me to whatever city he brings me. And if so happened that Christ decides it's time for me to die, it's time for me to be executed. That's what happened to Paul. Uh, if, if it's time for me to go ahead, then you know what? That'd probably be better anyway. He said, I'd rather, I'd rather be absent from this body. I'd rather be with Christ. And so he's given us pretty much, as we look at chapter one, he's given us all the way from verse three, all the way down to verse 26. He's given us his perspective. His perspective in the gospel that, you know what, I'm in chains for Christ and I'm, I'm glad to be here because, you know, he told us the whole, the Caesar's whole household has heard of the gospel now because I'm here. And the, the people around him in Rome, the, the brothers are, are, are more apt to preach the gospel. They're more uh, bold to preach because they know that God's going to use them no matter what. And we saw those things as we've been looking through this. Well, now he's going to turn a corner in verse 27. We're just going to read verse 27 through 30. So it's going to be real short today. And, uh, and he's going to turn a corner right here and he's going to apply all the things that we've been talking about, all the things he's been saying, he's going to apply them to you. He's going to apply them to me. He's going to apply them to the church. He's going to apply them to the church at Philippi. He's going to say, he's going to show them that, that, you know, all these things that I've been talking about, this is not just because I'm super Paul, you know, I'm the apostle and this is what apostles do. And we're, uh, we're, we're really higher up than y'all and we're really better spiritual and greater. And we've got more God than you got, more Holy Spirit than you got. He's not saying that at all. He's going to turn the corner. He's going to say, now you guys are going to have to do exactly what I've been doing. You guys are going to have to be exactly what I've been being. And we'll see that. So let's just read those three, those four verses. And then we'll go back and talk about them. He says, the, the last thing we read last week was 26. He says that you're, he's saying, I know I'm going to get out. He said, because it's more needful for you. He says, needful for you so I can come and, and further your joy and your faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by the coming to you again. He says, I know I'm going to come to you again. 
because you need me to, to exhort you to bring forth your joy. He says only, verse 27, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He said that whether I come and see you or else be absent, whether I'm there or not, he said, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So let's look at these one at a time. And what I want to show you is he's going to give them, he's going to give them really just one exhortation. It's really just one command. It's really just one thing. He's going to take a lot of time and explain what that means. And it's fortunate for us because, you know, I, I could say the, the, the one exhortation he gives and we can apply it in all kinds of different areas of our life. But we're going to let Paul tell us what he means when he says this. And it's really the most important thing. He uses that word only first in 27. He says, you know what? I know I'm going to come to you. I'm sure I'd rather be absent from this body. I'd rather be present with the Lord, but it's more needful for me to stay here for you that, you know, I can be with you to grow you in your joy and your faith and all those things. He said only, but it's almost like he's saying, but there's one thing that you need to know whether I come to you or not, whether I'm there or whether I'm absent. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. What he's saying there is not just the words that come out of your mouth. It is the words coming out of your mouth, but not just that. He's talking about your whole manner of life. He's talking about everything that you do, your lifestyle. He's saying, look, whatever, whether I come to you or not, live your life worthy of the gospel. That's what that means, becometh the gospel. Live your life consistently with the gospel. Now, first thing you can put to bed right now is not, when you say live your life worthy of the gospel, we're not working for anything. It's not like you got to be good enough in order to be in the gospel. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's talking about is living consistently with the gospel. Whether I'm there or whether I'm not there, I want to hear of your affairs. I want to hear that you are consistent, that you are, your conversation is becoming of the gospel. He's saying, I want you to be who you are. I want you to live like who God has made you to live. And he's going to explain that as we go on through the rest of these verses. But he says, look, the, the one thing that you need to do, the one thing that I want you to do, only this is not, not as though this is the only command, there's nothing going on, but he's focusing their attention. And this one thing, whether I'm with you, whether I'm not with you, I want you to live worthy of the gospel. Live consistently with what you believe. Now, <clears throat> that's uh, easy for us to apply in a, different, a lot of different ways, but being fallen people, I know I see, I, I can tell you that I see this in some of y'all's lives. And I can tell you that I see it in my own for sure. But being fallen people, sometimes we live inconsistently to the things that we say that we believe. Let me give you an example. Um, I was thinking about this. I'm going to tell you a lot about me today. You know, it was, I was, it was a hard week studying all these, these texts. I almost preached something else this morning just because, you know, I was, uh, it just all smacked me in the face so much. I was thinking, how am I going to stand up there and, and do this? And, uh, and God just led me just to kind of confess my own faults before you. But uh, this is not just a sermon about me. This is a sermon about you, too, because 
you can see it. If you're honest, you can see it in your own life as well. And so what it says, living inconsistently would be something like, you know, uh, I believe that it is imperative. It's important. It is really important in life for me to, you know, spend time with my children. If you're a parent or if you've ever been a parent, I mean, if you've ever been, you still are. But if you've already raised your kids and they're out in the world somewhere, grownups, or if you're raising them right now, you know that to be true. Now, we can all look back, whether you've done, done all the parenting you're going to do in this life or whether you're still right in the midst of it, whether you've done it, you can look back and say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't, do, I didn't do enough right there. And if you're a parent right now, you can look and I promise you, you'd be like, well, whew, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not spending enough time with them. I can surely see that it smacked me in the face this week. And so what we say is, you know, it's important. We know it's important. I truly believe that it's important. And you do too. And we can use any other example. This just happens to be my example. I truly believe that it's important, but I allow things to get in the way that take that time up, don't I? I, I got bills, I got work, I got stresses, I got things that need to be getting done. I got stuff going on all the time. I got things that just get in the way. And at the end of the week, at the end of the year, I'm like, man, I missed out on something important because I was, I was busy doing the urgent things. I was living inconsistently from what I know is true. I know it's true that it's important. It's more important than cutting the grass. It's more important than fixing on the house. It's more important than cleaning up. It's more important than getting half of the things done that I think I need to get done. But I always end up going for what needs to be done right now rather than the important things. And so what he's saying is don't live inconsistently with what you believe. He says, don't live inconsistently with the gospel. You have been, if you believe the gospel, and I'm going to say this phrase over and over again today, if the gospel is true, I'm saying it is true. But I'm saying if the gospel is true, this is what it should do in our life. This is how we should live. If we believe that it's true, if we believe that we've been forgiven, if we believe that we're slaves to Christ, if we believe that this is the most important thing in the universe, this is how we should live. We should live consistently with the gospel of Christ. We should live, we should live consistently knowing that this is the more, most important thing. It's easy for us to know something in our brain and live inconsistently with what we say that we know. We do it all the time. We do it all the time with all kinds of things. I can give you lots and lots of examples. But what we're talking about here, now think about this. I'm not talking about necessarily, I, I mean, this part of it, but I'm not just talking about the people who are faking it. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people in church are faking it. Some of you guys might be. Some of the people in the next service might be. Some of the people that are going to come tonight might be. A lot of people just faking it. They're just like, you know what? I know ain't nothing. I know I'm not right. I know I'm not living right. I know I'm not doing right. I know I'm not right before God. I know I haven't given my life to Christ. I know I haven't trusted in him. I, you know, but, but it's okay. I'm just going through the motions. I'm going to church. I'm going, doing my thing. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm a whole lot better than Joe down the road. You know, there's some people that just know you just faking it. You put on the mask every Sunday. You go and you do your thing and you think, you know, since I clocked in and put my time in, it's all good. God's going to surely reward that. I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm looking around at you guys and all of you guys have been exposed to some of the probably the best preaching that there is in the world over the past years that you've been here. So uh, most of us, most of us here, what I'm talking about here is just living inconsistently by getting distracted. 
We get distracted. We, we, we miss the whole forest because we're too busy looking at the trees. We miss the forest of, of life and the important things of life because we get distracted by this thing or that thing. We, the, the things of life just come in and you know what? I got bills to pay. I got things I got to get done. I got errands to run. I got, I got all these things going on in my life and, and, and it just distracts me from what I know is important, for what I know I'm supposed to be living. He says, Paul tells the Philippians here, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to focus on. Only let your conversation, let your behavior, let your life, let your words, let your thoughts, let all those things be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. Let it be worthy of what you have been given by grace. You have been given freedom. You've been given liberty. You've been given grace. You've been given salvation, redemption, justification. You've been given all these things. Now you go and you walk in those things. If the gospel is true and it is true, then you, it should be eating up your entire life. It should be the focus of everything that you are. It should be the focus of everything that you do. It should be the filter that all of your thoughts and all of your actions and all of my speech and all of my life goes through. It should be the filter that everything is filtered through. Keep the big picture in mind. Understand, there's something that we've been talking about a lot. Unless you focus on the big picture of the gospel, unless you focus on, and I'm not just talking about being saved, I'm talking about after you're saved, understanding that everything is about the gospel. Living in the gospel, being who you have been made in Christ, living as though you are truly redeemed, living as though you are truly one of God's children adopted by him, living as truly as you have been given victory. One of the things you need to know if the gospel is true, and I'm going to say that over and over again, I want you to know I'm using that kind of as a phrase to get my points across, but I'm, I'm assuming it is true. I know it's true. So I'm saying if the gospel is true to you in your mind, in your life, you should understand that you have victory. You should understand that there's nothing that can come against you and prosper. You should understand that everything that God has to give has been given you in Christ Jesus. And so what I'm saying, what Paul is saying to them, along with many other things, and we're going to look at that as he explains it to us, you and I are supposed to be walking consistent with what we say that we believe. If the gospel is true, we are victorious. We are no longer bound by sin. We're no longer bound by the chains of this world. We have no reason to fear anything that goes on in this world or in my own life or anything that goes on. We have no reason to fear any of that because God is in control. He is our father and he's working all things for our good, even when it doesn't seem like it. We are to walk consistently. We're to walk worthy. We're to have all our conversation as it becomes the gospel of Christ. We are to live that way. So let's look at what it, let's look at what it, what it means, what Paul explains. He says, I'm going to give you three or four things. It just depends on how much time that we got before I, before I have to be done. It says, only let your conversation become at the gospel of Christ. He says that whether I come and see you or else be absent. He said, I might hear of your affairs. Let's stop there in the middle of the verse for a second. Living consistently with the gospel, living worthy, living as it becomes the gospel means you live genuinely before God. Whether somebody's watching you or not. It says, Paul says, look, 
whether I'm there before you or not, can you imagine what we would be like if Paul, the apostle, or Jesus Christ himself were to stroll in this morning? I promise you wouldn't be no empty seats in here because everybody would want to look good. They'd want to be, you know, I'm here, I'm here, Jesus. Yeah, I'm here. No, he's saying, look, whether I'm there or whether I'm absent, I want to hear that you're living consistently with the gospel. I want to hear that you're living, your conversation becomes that of the gospel. I want to hear about your affairs. He, the, the one thing he's talking about, the first thing he's talking about here is living genuinely before God. Now, we all got the picture. We all know the folks, we all know there's folks that just put on the mask and they put on the front and they're like, you know, uh, you, they got one life that they come and they live during church time or during work time. And then they got another life they live at home that, well, you know, it doesn't matter. I just do whatever. Not, uh, that's important. If that's you, then I would say you probably need to be saved. You probably need the gospel. You probably need a heart change. What I'm talking about right here is just living, you know, just living. Uh, it's not that big a deal if I'm not around. Let me give you an example. And I'm going to give you an example from me. This really, it's really hurt when God brought this to my remembrance this week. I was with, uh, this has been a while. I was with a, a family and we went to Longhorns to eat. And it was just kind of some things going on. It was, it was, you know, we weren't just going to eat. We were, you know, talking and, and counseling and doing some things. And <clears throat> in the midst of while we were eating at Longhorns, waitress came over. And the family sitting across there, me and Dana sitting on this side of the booth. The waitress comes over and she starts, you know, taking an order, doing what, doing whatever they do. And so I started asking her just, hey, you know, where do you go to church? You go to church anywhere? Tell me about, you know, whatever. And by the end of the night, I, I told her I'd give her a good tip if she'll sit and listen to me for three minutes. And I got to talk to her about the whole gospel and everything. And she was very receptive and it, it was it was wonderful. It was great. You know, and it was, it was just, it was, it was good. Now, before you think, wow, Jason's so awesome. A few weeks later, a month later, I was in the same restaurant. This time it was just me and Dana. Well, nobody sitting across from me. The waitress came over and to my shame, it crossed my mind. Hey, you know, this, this one, this might be a good chance too. And I was like, I'm tired. I don't mess with all that today. And then it was like, well, why did you do it the first time? Was it because God would laid it on your heart because God or was it just because you had them folks across and you just wanted to look good? What was happening there is I wasn't living genuinely before God. I was living before men. I was doing something for men. I was doing something for people. So I'm not just saying, hey, you guys are all going out and watching dirty movies and all that. There's probably some of that going on. You probably need to be saved. You probably need to go on. I'm talking about we have a tendency to live inconsistently. We have a tendency to live a different way when people are watching, when people are around. Can you imagine Brother Eddie coming to eat supper at your house? Would the same thing be on TV when he's there that was on TV last night while you were watching? Would the same thing, same conversation go on? And look, I know, I know y'all like, oh, well, well, I'm just as guilty as everybody else. Living consistently with the gospel is living genuinely understanding that if the gospel's true and it is true, then 
We have been made perfect before God. He is our father. He's adopted us. And he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Wherever you go, he goes. Wherever you do, he does. Whatever, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, you bringing him with you. It's not a picture. It's not a matter of, you know what, I got to straighten up. Pastor's coming overnight. I got to straighten up. Sunday school class coming overnight. We got to make sure we got all people. We're talking about living genuinely. Paul says, can you imagine the Philippians like, get everything straight. You know how to get everything right. We've got to get all this stuff done. We've got to get all this settled. Paul's coming. And when Paul gets here, you know how he is. He's kind of crazy. He's liable to just point something out. He's liable just to rebuke us and get on us and, and do it. We need to make sure everything's right, everything's good. Paul says, look, whether I come to you or whether I'm absent, I want to hear that your conversation becometh the gospel of Christ. So the first thing you see is we talk about living consistently with the gospel. What we're talking about is living genuinely before God, who's all seeing eyes, always watching. We have a tendency to say, oh, you know what? God understands. You know, God understands. I have. Yeah, God does understand. He came and he was afflicted with everything that we're afflicted by. Tempted in all points just as we were. But understand he also is holy and he's made us holy. And we're continuing to grow and be holy and our heart desires to be holy. So he says, look, if you're going to live consistently with this gospel, if you're going to be who you are, God has made you perfect in his sight. If you're going to be victorious, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to have joy and victory in this life, understand you're going to have to live genuinely before God. You're going to have to abstain from the very appearance of evil, not just because somebody might see you doing evil, but because God is always with you, walking side by side with you, will never leave you, forsake you, and sticks closer than a brother. Understand, we abstain from the appearance of evil, not just because somebody might see and it might mess my testimony up, although that is a good reason to not do those things, but we do it because we are living to honor the God who has saved us from our sin. And so we were living consistently when we live genuinely before God. I'm not saying you're perfect or anything like that, but I'm saying there's a lot of things that we just kind of accept when nobody's watching. A lot of, lot of things we just kind of do. And you know what? It's really not that big a deal. It ain't like murder or anything when nobody's watching that we would never do if grandmama was in the car with you or if grandmama was on the sofa with you. We would never do those things. And so we live genuinely before God. Second thing he says is, this is what a life consistent with the gospel, a life becoming the gospel, conversation becoming the gospel of Christ. Let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. And this is what he says, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together. For the faith of the gospel. You cannot live consistently with the gospel that you say you believe if you are not consistently living in fellowship and striving together with the body of Christ for the faith of the gospel. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. Paul says, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And the, the main thrust of what he says is that so when I come, if I come or don't, I'll hear of your affairs. And this is what I want to hear. That you standing fast together, one spirit, one mind, striving together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That is a life that is consistent 
with the gospel. That is a life that is worthy. Live worthy of the gospel. Live as it becomes the gospel of Christ. That is, if the gospel is true, and it is true, if the gospel is true, then God has made you part of the body of Christ. If the gospel is true in your life and you're a saved person, your identity is wrapped up in Christ. You are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit and you have been united together with all those brothers and sisters that trust in Christ. And so when you neglect the body of Christ, when you neglect the purpose of striving for the faith of the gospel, you're living inconsistently with what you say. You can tell me all day long that the gospel is important to me. But if you neglect the body of Christ, if you neglect the purpose of our life, which is to strive together for the faith of the gospel, you're living inconsistently with what you say you believe. And so one of two things is possible. Either you don't really believe what you say you believe, or you're being distracted and getting sidetracked by things in your life that you shouldn't be sidetracked. And God is going to come and discipline you and chastise you to bring you back onto the path that you're supposed to be on in the first place. And so, look, it, it, it's amazing to me. I, I'm not making the connection. It's Paul that makes the connection. Look at what he says. He says, only let your conversation be as it be becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come to you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. And he says, this is what I want to hear. This is what I want to hear of you. This is the conversation that becomes the gospel of Christ, that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, what we're talking about here is not just associated with. He doesn't say, now look, whether I come to you or whether I'm absent, what I want to do, I want to hear of your affairs that you guys are all coming together and attending church together. This is, he's talking to the Philippian church. He's talking to those that are in Philippi. He's not saying, look, I, I, I want to come and just make sure that you, you're there at least three times a month or at least, you know, that you're making at least 80% of the services or at least that you're doing all. No, he says, I want to hear that you are together. That you are in one spirit, one mind, and what you're doing is you're locked arm in arm, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You're striving for it. It's the purpose of your life. It's the purpose of what you do. It's the purpose of your thoughts. It, it, it just consumes you. Your life is about the gospel. If the gospel's true, and it is, and you say that you believe the gospel and it's the most important thing in your life, Christ is the most important thing, then your life should show in some way, shape, or form that you are striving together with the bride of Christ for the faith of the gospel. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. I'm sorry. You do things that, are, that you do when you're at work and you're at school and you're by yourself. There's testimony, there's witness you live for. I'm not saying you don't live for Christ. But what I'm saying is, if you are neglecting, that is what he put in this letter, in this one verse, verse 27. He connects both things. Living uh, at worthy of the gospel, you're having your conversation that becomes the gospel, and striving together in one mind for the faith of the gospel. He connects both of those things together. It's almost like he's saying, if you're going to be living for the gospel, then you've got to be striving together for the gospel. You've got to be in fellowship with one another. If the gospel's true, and it is true, then you, if you've accepted the gospel, if you've trusted the gospel, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have been made part of a body. 
You have been made part of the body of Christ. You have been united with Christ along with all those who have trusted in Christ. You've been united together. And that body of Christ is what brings the gospel to the world. Now, he's talking, you know, we can make all kind of applications to this. I mean, it's all kind of applications what it means to strive together for the gospel. So, but let's just start with the, the simplest thing. Let's start with the, just the simplest thing. Can you strive together with the body of Christ for the faith of the gospel if you don't assemble with the body of Christ? I mean, is that possible? Is it possible to strive together for the body of Christ, for the faith of the gospel, without actually assembling together with the body of Christ? The Bible tells us not to forsake that assembly. I mean, is it important to you? I know that's just baby steps. That's just kindergarten. I mean, that's not even close to what it means to strive together for the faith of the gospel. But let's just start right there at that kindergarten level. I mean, is it even possible to strive together for the faith of the gospel if you're not fellowshipping? with the people that are striving together for the faith of the gospel? Is it even possible to be in one spirit with them? Possible to be in one mind with them when you don't even assemble? Now, obviously, I'm not talking to y'all. Y'all are assembled. But what I'm saying to you is, is it possible? I mean, is it important? Is it important to you to assemble with the believers? Is it important to you to come and to fight for the faith of the gospel? To fight to worship God in the midst of all the things that are going on in your life. To fight to, to, uh, to spread the gospel. To fight to live, to grow in the gospel. To fight for the faith of the gospel. It's not just talking about one aspect. It's talking about all of them. It's talking about, it's talking about proclaiming the gospel. And defending the gospel. And living in the gospel. And growing in the gospel. And spreading the gospel to lost people. And, and exhorting those uh, to remind them who they are in Christ. As you come and, and maybe people are going through tough things in their life to rejoice with your brothers and sisters in the gospel. If when God is good to them and shows them something really wonderful in their own life, does something wonderful in their own life to, to weep and, and mourn with those who are mourning when something bad happens and tragedy strikes or whatever. Are you striving together with the body of Christ? Now, Paul is talking to the church at Philippi here. So he's talking to them about their church in their city. But he could just as easily be talking to Christ Church of Brownsville. He could just as easily say, Christ Church, I want to come and see you. But whether I come or whether I I don't come, Christ Church, the only thing I want you to do is I want you to let your conversation be that becometh the gospel. That whether I come and see you or whether I don't come and see you, what I hear about you is that you guys are striving in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Just assembling together. That's just, that's like saying, I mean, that's just so kindergarten. That's just so baby step level. It's like saying, you know what? The first thing you want to do if you want to live is you want to keep breathing. I mean, that's just duh. You know, it's duh. Of course you got to keep breathing. That's just baby step level. But look, he, he, we could say also that you need to strive together, strive together. Are you striving together for the faith of the gospel? I can tell you with certainty. And this is one of the things I've said this before, but I'm proud of this, that Christ church is a church that keeps the gospel front and center 
in every service, in every Sunday school class, in everything that we do, in every ministry, in every community event, and every... That's, I mean, that's, that's a good thing, and a lot of us are used to that. But that's not the case in a lot of places. It's not the case. And so I can honestly say, without any qualifications, Christ Church is striving for the gospel. The question is, are you with us? Are you here with us, striving for the gospel? Are you involved? I'm not saying you've got to preach or you've got to teach Sunday school class or anything. I'm saying, are you united with us? Are you united with us, striving for the gospel? Are you, are you here fighting to worship in the midst of lots of people who are just coming? Are you here fighting, uh, fighting to exhort somebody, to be a, a blessing to somebody as you come? Are you here just to encourage Brother Eddie as he's preaching and give him some amens and, and, and agree with him when the word is true and it goes forth? Somebody next to you may need. Are you striving with us? Are you striving with us in the things that we do? Understand that the body of Christ is striving for the faith of the gospel. And he says, whether I come to you, whether or not, I want to hear. I want to hear that you guys are all in one spirit, that you're all in one mind, and that one mind, that one spirit is focused on striving together for the faith of the gospel. The next thing he says when we talk about living consistently is that you are not afraid of your enemies. Are you kidding? In verse 28 it says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. You know what an adversary is? It's anybody that opposes you. Anything that opposes you, that's your adversary. Anything that comes against you is your adversary. And so it says, I want to hear that you're striving for the gospel. I want to hear that you are not terrified of any adversary that you have. If the gospel is true, and it is true, and the gospel is real in your life, guess what? You're going to have enemies. You're going to have adversaries right off the bat. I mean, from day one. This is not like, well, I've made a mistake here and I've got to ask. If you trust Christ, live for Christ, you're going to have adversaries. You're going to have people that are your adversary. You're going to have the world, the flesh, Satan himself. You're going to have adversaries from the moment that Christ enters your life, from the moment you become a temple of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have adversaries, duh. In nothing, he said, there is no reason in the world that you should be afraid of your adversaries. Why? I mean, sure, I hope y'all can answer that question without me. Why should you not be afraid? Because you've, you've been sealed by the gospel. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Your life belongs to him. Everything you are belongs to him. He's already won. It's already victorious. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. There's nothing that can come against you and prosper. No weapon formed. Uh, no, you know, he, no man can take you out of his hand. You pick your scripture. They're all through there in nothing terrified. You know, that, that has such wide application today. I mean, you look around in the world. I mean, you got the whole election thing coming up Tuesday. I mean, it's kind of a scary thing. When you look at what most of the country or half the country is, are you, are you insane? What's going to happen? You know, it's almost like it, it, it'll terrify you. I, we don't even watch the news at my house anymore. I, I just can't. It will terrify you. It, it was, you know, it's just bad. Can you imagine these Philippians were living? Paul, are you crazy? You're in jail. You're about to be killed. Nero is the Caesar. Nero is crazy as the day is long. Killed Christians, burned them alive, all kind of things. What do you mean don't be terrified? He says, don't be terrified by your adversaries because if they are the adversary of the church, 
If they are the adversary of God's people, all we're talking about here is a question of identity. Your adversaries that try to scare you, try to terrify you, try to give you the spirit of fear that God hasn't given us. All that is is evidence of their destruction. It says if they're your adversary, if they're coming against the church, if they're coming against the body of Christ, coming against the gospel. He says, which is to them an evident token of perdition. He says, but to you, if you're part of the church striving for the gospel, it's an evident token of your salvation. And that's from God. He said, so look, when you have an adversary, count yourself lucky. Understand that's God identifying them for you. Your adversary. That's an evident token that they're headed for destruction. It may seem like they're winning. Now Paul's in jail. The Philippians are being persecuted. I mean, every, it looks like evil's winning in every part of, of the world at the time Paul wrote this. And he said, don't be afraid of your adversaries. I want to hear when I come to you, if I don't, if I come or whether I don't come, I want to hear that you're standing fast, striving together for the gospel. I want to hear that you're not terrified by all these adversaries that are coming against you, because really it's just showing you who is destined for perdition and who is salvation. It should give you joy, understanding that if they're coming against you, if they're coming against the body of Christ, it's an evident token of their perdition evident token of their destruction it's an evident token that they have been condemned and it's a token that you have been saved that you have been redeemed what he's saying is there's no point in being terrified because you have already won the victory if you're in christ you've already won and the the last thing he says he says you don't need to be terrified he says for unto you it is given In behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. To suffer for his sake. And so when we see that having the same conflict which you saw in me and now hearing me, Paul says, just like I'm suffering for his sake, you are going to be called to suffer for his sake. You're going to have adversaries. You're going to have things come against you, whether it be coming against the entire church as a whole, as we see in the world today, or coming against you in your own personal life. You're going to have adversaries. You're going to have um, not just the world, flesh, and the devil. You're going to have people that come against you. They're going to have people that are your adversaries. They're going to have people that oppose you and oppose what you stand for. But we, we, we don't, we're not terrified of that. We give them the one thing that we have, and that's the gospel. We preach the gospel to them. We strive for the gospel that God would have mercy upon their soul. They would turn and repent toward Christ and be saved and be part of the body of Christ and then join us in striving for the faith of the gospel. And so he says, he says, look, don't be terrified because it's given to you. What we're saying is that God has God has sometimes ordained the fact that you and I will suffer. That is one of the things he used in the early church more than anything else. Is that when the more that the more, especially during Paul's day, when Nero was the Caesar, the more Christians that were killed, the more Christians that went to their death saying, you know what? I don't care. I'm not denying Christ. I'm not denying who, he, who he's made me. I'm not denying that he re- re- rose from the dead. I'm not denying those things. The more that happened, the more people came to faith in Christ. The more that happened, the more the church grew until by, you know, Two or three hundred A.D., there were so many that they had to just say, "Okay, we're just going to have to let them be who they are. The more that we suffer and we stand in the midst of that, people look and say, how is that? How is that even possible? 
How is that possible that a person could go through what that person's gone through and still stand and still be joyful, still have peace, still be happy, still understand that life is good and God is great and all the... How is that even possible? Understand God uses that. He uses the things that go on, the bad things that happen to show what the gospel means. He says, we're not terrified by our adversaries in anything because it's given to you, he says, not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake, to suffer for his name. It's given to you. And to be honest, if the gospel is true, and it is true, then you and I should say and believe exactly like Paul believed the last time we were here that if I go on living, it's just more service for Christ. And if I die, that's gain. And it'll be far better. I'd rather, I would rather, Paul said, I would rather be absent from this body and present with the Lord. But he said, it's more needful for you that I stay. And Paul is telling them here, look, you need to have the same mind that I have. You need to have the same focus that I have. That whether I come to you or whether I don't, I'm going to hear that, number one, you are striving together. One mind, one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that you are not terrified by all these people that call themselves your adversary. Because you know what? You are already victorious, even if you have to suffer in this life, in this fallen world with all the evil that goes on. Even if you have to suffer, you are victorious because it's been given to you by God. Nothing comes to your life that God doesn't use, that God doesn't allow. Nothing can come into your life as a believer that God doesn't allow. And if he allows it, it's for a good purpose. It's to grow you, conform you to the image of Christ. And so... The point of this, as we, we're turning a corner right here, next, next week if God allows and doesn't change the, the, my thinking patterns here, we're, we're going to go into chapter 2 and talk about Jesus and about being, being humble like he was. But he says, you live consistently with the gospel. It's so easy for us in all kind of areas, whether it's work, family, life, for us to be inconsistent to what we say we believe. If I was the devil, I would, and I know that you're a saved person. I'm not going to waste my time trying to make you an unsaved person. I can't do that. But what I'll do is I'll come at you with so much stuff that I'll distract you from talking to that guy. I'll distract you from talking to that lady across the street. I'll say, you know what? You deserve a break. You don't have to be striving for the gospel all the time. I'll distract you from who you are in Christ. I'll say, you know what? You don't have to go to church every time the doors are open. I mean, what do them people expect of you? Why? Because I would know that to keep you away from the body of Christ is to pull the, I don't want to say power, but it's to pull you away from the source of growing, the source of strength the source of of who you are in Christ. To pull you away from what God has called you to do, the mission that he's given you. If I was the devil, I would be at you 
you got to get this done. Got to get that done. Come on, don't forget this. Don't forget that. Come on, God. And you would day by day, knowing it's important. I got to get that done. I know it's important. But right now I got this. I got to get that. But right now I got this. I got to get. You would live inconsistently with what you say that you believe. And understand, this is very serious because... If you can live your entire life from now to the day you die without ever, without ever hearing the disciplinary voice of God saying, Hey, son, hey, daughter, you're getting off course. You need to come back. Then you need to ask whether you've been saved or not. You need to ask whether you've truly been born again. Because who he loves, he chastises. He disciplines his sons. He disciplines his daughters. And he won't let you run off into sin. That's a fact. We got whole Bible teaches that. But neither will he let you just be scatterbrained, distracted, so that you are oblivious to striving for the gospel, living to who you're supposed to be, and being on the mission that Christ has put you on. He will chastise you maybe he'll do it through a sermon maybe he'll do it through the word maybe he'll do it through a person maybe he'll do it through just conviction of the holy spirit but he will most certainly do it he will correct your course so the question you got to ask is there may be some of you today who just aren't saved i mean it's a fact there may be some of you today that are just distracted you know i've been as i look at my just don't even say my whole life just look at the last month the last six months are you living consistently with what you say is the most important thing in your life. If Christ is the most important thing in your life, to live consistently with that means that you are striving together with the body of Christ for the gospel, which is the most important thing in your life, and that you are not terrified by any of the circumstances, all the things that come up, all the things in your life, all the things that are going on, because you know that God is in control and you're living for him and you live genuinely before God today if you're not saved he says call upon me and I'll answer you I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know about he says if you're burdened you're heavy laden you come to me I'll give you rest he says if you call upon the name of the Lord that you will be saved let's pray father we love you thank you Lord for your word we